prosecution outlined how accounting practices what fuck? What? did not what kind of likeness is that if they were great artists still be in a museum i'm fucking fodder for cartoonists now What's up? It's time for another wonderful episode of Gutter Boys. Gutter Boys is a small press comics podcast about uh, stuff and things, and we talk about it. Yeah. Uh, I'm your host, JB, with my co-host, Cam. On today's episode, we speak with New York-based cartoonist G. Davis Cathcart about their new book. Uh, although it's not really new, is it? It's been out for like a year. Yeah, but there's a new edition and it's widely available. Yes, now. and it's going to be on Fanagraphics. Correct. You can order it through your shop. Yes. So stay tuned for that, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, otherwise, I don't know why you're listening. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. We've got some uh, news. Yeah. Uh, no, Not really any shout outs. Now, we're going to uh, probably do a shout out heavy episode next episode, which will have uh, Pat Keck on the show. Talk about his Batman book with uh, Josh Simmons, and we'll get around on shout outs on those. But we do want to go ahead and just do some rapid fire news. Yeah, your number one source for comic news. Uh, the Gutter Boys. The Gutter, gutter boys. boys. Gutter Boys. Gutter Boys. Small press. Yes. Um, so speaking of small press, Chris Claremont. Uh, this is a, a really good headline from Bleeding Cool. Chris Claremont wanted to turn Kitty Pride black as the Shadow Panther. Yeah, he spoke uh, on, uh, what was it, one of those like convention group think? <laughs> yeah. That's what he called that? The uh, a uh, panel. panel discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On C2E2. That's right, yes. Um, a friend of mine actually posted <laughs> some, some live uh, on-site reporting, and uh, it's pretty wild. Yes. So, um, Claremont did a panel and, uh, I guess just to kind of paraphrase, he, <laughs> he, uh, said that, uh, his plan for the X-Men forever comic that was supposed to happen was to have Katie pride become the shadow Panther transformed by cosmic forces into the actual daughter of Chakala or how do you say the black Panther's name? Chala T'Challa. I T'Challa. Think. Yeah. And storm. Yes. And storm. And, um, that means that she would have turned into an African American woman. Uh, he said that, uh, he, Chris Claremont said that he could have gotten away with this as he was another white guy playing fast and loose with racial identity because he was English and that the Brits have been doing this kind of thing for a thousand years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Claremont is uh, the guy that did that very famous X-Men run, right? Yeah, like the all this shit, all the X-Men lore is pretty much from him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of it is basically like, if you have a hard time understanding the civil rights movement, what if we made it about mutants? Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's basically an abridged idiot's guide to the civil rights movement. 
Like, if yes. you're too fucking slow to understand, you know, like, social justice things, I guess just make it into a Marvel book and have it be written by a white British dude, and you'll finally understand. But then also not really, because at the end of the day, you'll still claim that they need to keep politics out of comics. Uh, so, I don't know. It's it's a lose-lose situation. Very true. Also, he did a, a Cajun accent. <laughs> Talking about uh, Gambit? <laughs> I guess so. Uh, and then he said, Kitty would have to decide if she stayed black or went back to being white. We do not know how this happened. The question was about Gambit. <laughs> uh, that rocks. He just segued into that completely unrelated yeah. to the... <laughs> <laughs> the question that was given he's just answering the question by, it's just uh, like one of the people at the panel yeah. you yeah. know kitty was supposed to be black right like just drops it on everybody yeah and you know he <laughs> slid that in being like i'm about to blow these motherfuckers minds thought he was doing a good thing but then he's just like well i can do this because uh we've been doing this for thousands of years as white people <laughs> big brain at work <laughs> uh looks like frank miller's uh got a new publishing imprint uh just called very cleverly titled frank miller presents Watch alert. That'd be next Wednesday, 17th of August. Uh, Frank Miller's putting out an ash can, which is uh, what the pros call zines. It costs a dollar. It will be worth some money. If you really want a copy, I've got a lead on one, and I am starting the bid at $35 DM me. <laughs> it's limited. Yeah, they're already speculating that it's going to be 50 on eBay by the end of the day. Yeah, because it's like super limited. There's 12,000 copies worldwide. Um, it's going to cost a buck. It looks like what he's doing, though, is uh, he's just starting his own company. I guess I don't know what happened with him in Dark Horse. Uh, maybe he got a taste of that Netflix money and he's like, I'm going all me. Yeah, I mean, he wants to own it all. So, yeah, uh, it looks like the ash can will contain two original stories. Frank Miller's Ronin book two by Frank Miller, Philip Tan and Daniel Henriquez and uh, Ancient Enemies by Dan DiDio. Danilo Bayruth and Alex Sinclair, as well as sneak peeks of their other upcoming series. Frank had this to say, this is a celebration of craft and comics and my way to continue contributing to the industry I love. Everything about this ash can from the style of stories to the look and the feel of the books says comics to me. I bet you he hasn't even fucking seen this thing. Um, maybe he, he has. Like he immediately forgot. Yeah. He's like a hundred years old. Alcohol has just like riddled his brain with holes. <laughs> Marinating. Yeah, dude. It, yeah. It's like Swiss cheese in a brine. It's he's <laughs> fucked. Uh, <laughs> you know, peace and love to Frank, but yeah, it's not doing too hot. But hey, you know, while you're while you're still, you got a few hours left on this fucking rock. You might as well cash in. Try to get some IPs through the door. Yeah, take you know, care do of your, your thing. Generational yeah, wealth, thing. baby. So, yes, um, it looks like he's not even really drawing this stuff. It's just he's writing it. Um, so no thanks. Big no thanks. I don't want to see Ronin part two written by Frank Miller. No thanks. Draw that shit. <laughs> you know, that said. Yeah, I was definitely I was definitely reading Ronin for the story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, said, he got me. He figured it out. <laughs> right. You know, and it's yeah. So uh, I have no interest in this. If you do, though, um, you know, good for you. Are we putting Frank on uh, Pack Watch? I mean, I've, I you know I feel bad because I feel like he turned a corner. He he kind of like led up on being like this post nine eleven anti Muslim fucking nut job. Yeah, like this man got PTSD from watching television. <laughs> like think about <laughs> that, that second plane just replays in his head every day. Yeah, for real. <laughs> and like for real, for real. Like if you read his interviews and like listen to him talk about it, it is like truly worrying uh how deeply impacted he was by something he saw on television and uh yeah it's pretty wild 
to the point where he was just like, yeah, we need to eradicate them all. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we need to put them in camps. <laughs> Check out this book called uh, Holy Terror. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I feel like he's let up on that over the years. He right? has. It seems like he's not talking about that shit anymore. I don't yeah, know if he's yeah. like apologized I, I think, for any I, of it or anything like that. No, but. I don't think he has. He probably forgot. Yeah. Uh, I think that part of his brain finally dissolved. So, yeah, I don't know. If you want to make a quick 50 bucks, though, grab that zine. Yeah, it's <laughs> oh, a I'm dollar. sorry, Ashcan. Sorry, Ashcan, not yeah. zine. I have a feeling that it's going to be just, you know, it's going to be printed on the same paper as all the other comics. Uh, but that reminds Frank of comics, so that's all that matters. Uh, let's see. Oh, let's talk about the death throes of Boom. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, they are uh, also not doing well, just like Frank Miller's brain, not doing too high. Yeah, death croak. Uh, or what do they call that? The uh, the sound you make when you die? The death rattle. Yes. Which was also a really sick horror comic back in the day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The anthology series. Yeah, Corbin fucking did some great covers on there. Anyway. Uh, let's see here. So it looks like they're doing a real 90s speculative move here. Not yeah. surprising. Not surprising. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers is, is hitting issue number 100. And um, what they're doing is they're doing a double issue that has a retail price of, uh, if I'm not mistaken, $7.99. It's not like a $3.99 comic or anything like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes polyba or no, sorry, it's $9.99. Oh, shit. Ten bucks. Ten bucks. And here's how they're getting you. Just like X-Force number one, it was it's going to be polybagged and has special trading cards, including two Power Rangers rookie cards. <laughs> and there's ten cards total. So you have to buy ten copies of a $10 book in order to have a full set. Well, in this article, fucking on Bleeding Cool actually suggests that you buy 11 so you have one for reading. Of course. Of course. They know their audience, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the thing. I mean, um, it looks like I'm trying to figure out in the article if you can see what the card is that comes with the issue or if it's random. Because if it's random, holy oh, shit. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. That's going to rock. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Power Rangers is going to be the top selling comic if that's the case. Just from fucking, you know, their audience trying to get all these cards. Uh, yeah, it doesn't look like on bleedingcool.com they specify if the cards are actually going to be, you know, if you can see them or not in the bag. So um, if, if they really, really, really want to pull a power move, they put it in a black poly bag. But yeah, so that said, you're out at least 100 bucks if you want one of each card. That's insane, dude. Or no, 11 collectible trading cards. Well, 10 trading cards, 11 if you want to read one. Oh. And that doesn't even include that there's variants involved. Oh, there's variant covers? Yeah, it says that uh, each copy of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number 100 covers A through D only. So I guess the four main retailer covers mm. are going to have a card. And you know they're going to have shop exclusives. It's it's the 100th issue of Power Rangers. They're going to go hard on this shit, bro. Who's reading that? <laughs> I don't know. But I guess between Keanu and this, is just Boom's like, all right, I, man. I need the, the newest issue of Power Rangers by Boom. <laughs> I fucking need to know what happens. What kind of sick, demented brain would fucking need this? I don't under... I, and this is coming from a hoarder. This is coming from someone who, like, is an adult that collects stuff. So, like, even my brain can't understand this. Like, to me, this is deviant behavior. Yeah, it's it's bad, man. It's bad. And the thing is, is, you know, hook, line, and sinker, keys jingling, they got them. Ah, damn. I mean, they wouldn't be doing this if they didn't know it was successful. Because, I mean, all you have to have is a thousand people buy ten covers each. And that's a hundred grand. 
But do you do you really think that many people are going to go all in like that? Yes. 100. You don't think there's a thousand dedicated Power Rangers fans with too much money? Hmm. Yeah. But here's okay. So here's the thing. Let's say I'm a dedicated Power Ranger comic boom fan, uh, whatever. I could spend a hundred dollars, right, for 10 copies so that I have every single card. That's if these aren't blind bagged. I hope they're blind bagged just to, you know, fuck. Yes, me too. Over. I, I 100% hope these are blind bagged. That's going to piss so many people off. Yeah. But if they are not <laughs> blind bagged, right, and you go all in and you spend 100 on these to get the whole set. Yeah. Would you rather spend $100 to have 10 trading cards, which you could, I mean, realistically, you're going to be able to get them on eBay. You'll, you'll be able to get the whole set for relatively cheap, I think. Yeah, like, maybe not right in away, like two but years. First, or after yeah, a while, yeah. I mean. Yeah, no, no. In two years, these things are going to be all over eBay. They're going to have like buy it now for like 30 bucks. I guarantee it. And it's like, okay, these so-called Power Rangers rookie cards, they look like they're rookie cards of the comic book characters. Who gives a fuck? I, well, like you said, the thousand people that fucking well, buy this comic regularly. Well, it's not like one of these Power Rangers has made a television appearance. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, yeah, these are all made up for the comic, right? Yes, correct. But um, I did actually, when I was like speculating buying, there was like a, a Power Ranger guy named like, here he is, Lord Dracon. Uh-huh. I saw that he had a first appearance and I snatched that shit up and I flipped that bitch for like 40 something bucks. So people care about that guy. And I think. Sure. Yeah. Um, so maybe. I don't know. But if you're going to spend, uh, I guess what I'm saying is you can spend $100 on that, or you could probably just commission one of these artists to draw that character for you for whatever amount they're charging, right? Right. Or just wait till they're desperate on Twitter and charging $40 for a headshot. That's true. Yes. And it'll mean, happen. Because you know. boom Dude, ain't going to be around for long. <laughs> yeah. There was a funny fucking tweet that, uh, I guess it's a couple weeks old at this point, but I feel like uh, it had real gutter boys energy. It came from at comics bookcase. And this is so true, though, but they tweeted out, comics is wild because someone will say, I'm living my entire life's dream right now, and they might be talking about working on He-Man meets Fraggle Rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100%. That is that is uh, where comics has been for, I don't know, last... Since like 2012. Of, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they thought the world was going to end, it didn't, so this is what we now get they're now. they're living their best lives. Yeah. Uh, drawing just the worst bottom of the barrel licensed shit yeah for idw or whatever for pennies pennies on the dollar yeah <laughs> but hey you know if that's if that's your dream come true hey who am i to stop that that's yeah exactly i don't judge pain pigs yeah i think if they're happy if they're just uh you know willingly swallowing shit and loving it and smiling and smearing it on their lips and saying please sir i would like some more that's on them yeah i hope i i hope they live for a thousand years so that they can keep doing that yeah, I mean, it worked for Dan Slot. He said that's how you do it, so... That's true. Yeah. Yeah, shout out to Dan. Just the slobbest fucking piece of shit. He yeah. literally just looks like... <laughs> what you in imagine. In your mind's like, eye, what you think a comic book reader yeah. looks like. <laughs> Dude, like if they did a live action Simpsons movie, he'd be comic book guy. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Actually, no, because I feel like the comic book guy has a little more swagger than Dan. Yeah, he'd be, uh, he'd be Mario Batali. Ah, uh, yeah, there you go. MCU casting there. And he has a sick ponytail, like the balding ponytail. That's, right. a, that's a really clutch move. Dan is too much of a coward to grow out what's remaining of his, of his hair. Yeah, so. Yeah. Well, um, we need to get out of here because it's taking too long. But uh, real quick, want to shout out friends of the show. 
Uh, they follow us, so I guess they're friends. Uh, Floating World Comics has moved after uh, a long time at their old location. And um, it looks like they were there for 16 years at their old location, but they are moving from Old Town, Chinatown, Portland to the nearby shopping mall, the Lloyd Center. Uh, The new location is 1405 Lloyd Center, and um, they have a really long uh, thing that I'm not going to read, but Floating World is a really cool publisher, and uh, they put out really uh, awesome comics. Speaking of, did you see, I don't know if you follow Charles Forsman, but I'm pretty stoked about this. Charles Forsman got a gig with uh, Vinegar Syndrome doing a comic that's going to be put out through Floating World, actually. It's a sequel to that movie, New York Ninja. Oh. Yeah. That's, uh, okay. You know, that sounds more like something uh, Benjamin Morrow would do, but... Yeah. Uh, I, it, I guess... It looks great, man. The pages look sick that I've seen that were posted on the solicitation, but, you know, that said... I'm stoked about it, and uh, Floating World's always doing cool shit like that. Like, they published uh, that Ken Landgriff comic not too long ago. They're doing Rich Tommaso's book, and then uh, that dude Teddy uh, Goldenberg, I think is his name. He makes really kick-ass work, and they're about to put out his book. So, uh, shout out to them. Go visit them in the shopping mall. Maybe it'll be like the, uh, I've never been to a comic book store in a shopping mall, but I've always seen it in the movie Mall Rats. So, maybe it'll be like that. Uh, I have. My old mall in my hometown had a comic shop in it. As you can imagine, it didn't last that long. I feel like, you know, in, in 2022, having a comic shop in a mall, it's a little more viable because it's more of like a quaint idea of having something in the mall. Right. And I mean, the fact that like malls probably need you more than you need the mall nowadays. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. So rent's probably more in favor of a comic shop. I would I would hope so. Yeah. I would really, really hope so. Because, yeah, because at that point, what's why would you be in a, in a mall unless the rent was like really, really affordable? Because otherwise, you know, you're not going to get a whole lot of foot traffic. Right. So like you'd have to be something people seek out. Exactly. Right. So at that point, you are now helping the mall more than anything else. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of, I will read this about their uh, location. Uh, It looks like in the mall. Uh, they wrote, they, we can't, they can't wait to see you at the new space in the Lloyd Center. Uh, you take the escalator up from the ice rink. Uh, they'll be upstairs next to the GameStop and Gambit Games. Man, this mall actually kind of sounds sick. An ice rink that's in a mall in 2022, you know, it sounds kind of wild, but, uh, that's cool. Uh, it does look like they're also having a soft opening party at the location. Uh, it looks like it's, uh, on August 19th from 11 to 7. So, uh, if you're out there, go check it out. Hopefully they'll have a nice dip and dots cart right in the front. Yeah. Or maybe a Cinnabon. That would be really sick. Dude, I would be so fucking yeah. pissed if I ran a comic shop and motherfuckers came in like with Cinnabon hands Ugh, going through the yeah. stock. In a comic shop? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. No, that's a nightmare. <laughs> All right. Shout out Floating World for putting up with that bullshit. Hopefully you guys don't have a Cinnabon, actually. Yeah. Dip and dots is the safer bet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Is that it? Yeah, man. That That's pretty much it for news. All right, so with that being said, I guess let's go right into our interview with uh, G. Davis Carhart. Cathart. (laughs) And and, uh, But before that, we're going to take a quick break. So, uh, yeah, stick around. We'll be right back. What do a pair of deadly assassins, a beefy pile of roided up high school football players, a zombie outbreak, huge dragons, and a himbo barbarian have in common? You can find them all in the upcoming pages of the Santos Sisters. That's right. Ambar and Alana are back for more gripping adventures. Once again, offset press printed in full color on your favorite decadent newsprint. Prestigious publication. The Comics Journal. Love the first issue. Calling it a 
highly entertaining comic. And Katie and Sally from the Thick Lines podcast called it a masterpiece and more than they deserve. And who are we to disagree? The Santos Sisters. He's available now. Don't miss out. Ask your favorite comic book retailer to add it to your pull list today or find it online at santosisters.com. Athenium Comic Art is an original art website for some of the best cartoonists in the business. They currently represent Remy Boydell, Marie Capel France, Nicole Gu, Jonathan Hill, Emma Hunsinger, Casey Nowak, Micah Song, and Tilly Walden. Athenium Comic Art gives fans the opportunity to own original piece of art from their favorite comics and support the artists that they love. In their short time in business, they've already shipped many iconic pages out to hardcore fans across the globe. Don't miss out on your chance to own a one-of-a-kind piece of history. Check out their website, AtheniumComicArt.com, and type in Gutter Gang at checkout to receive free shipping on your first order. Again, the website is AtheniumComicArt.com, and the code is Gutter Gang. Rust Belt Review is a quarterly comics lit magazine featuring serialized and short-form comics from some of the most exciting cartoonists in the small press scene today. Volume 1 features work from Gutter alums, M.S. Harkness, Audra Stang, and Caleb Arecchio, along with work by Andrew Greenstone, Sean Knickerbocker, and Juan Jose Fernandez. You can order your copy of Rust Belt Review today by going to rustbeltreview.org. Enter in promo code GUTTER to receive two bucks off your order. Again, that website is rustbeltreview.org. Promo code GUTTER. Loves underground comics. Everybody loves underground comics. And if you know people who don't love underground comics and only read the mainstream comics, immediately report them to your local comic book store and find them with copies of Clusterfux Comics. Clusterfux Comics is a black and white underground anthology comic scene featuring some of the best underground comics creators today. Creators like Cameron Zavala, Eric Jasek, Brian Judge, Miguel Aguilar, Adam Yeter, Jason Cavelli, Umberto Tonella, Anna Peterson, Tony De Pasquale. Drewby Hall, and so many more. Issues 1 through 4 are available now, with the fifth issue debuting in early 2023. Purchase your copies today at clusterfuckscomics.bigcartel.com. And that's comics with an X. Clusterfucks Comics. Comics you can clusterfucks with. The Last Aviatrix is a post-nuclear adventure comic by independent Los Angeles-based cartoonist Buster Cagle. The story follows Summer, our last aviatrix, who pilots the sole surviving airplane, a nuclear-powered B-29, as she travels the ruined world finding ways to survive and help humanity while dealing with the eminent threat of the Atomborn, a rare breed of atomic wizards that want to see her out of the sky. Her mission becomes complicated when she accidentally picks up Henry, an Atomborn child who wields incredible power, and Clementine, a berserker on a quest for vengeance. Can our aviatrix survive this ruined and irradiated waste Land? Every issue can be read for free on BusterCagle.com slash comics. Paper copies can be ordered as well, but, you know, you can still read it for free. If you like Wizards or Warplanes, go check it out. Hey Gutter Gang, Cam here to tell you about Soggy Landing again, longtime supporter of the podcast. They recently sent us printed copies of the first three chapters to review and are currently posting Chapter 4 online with updates on Instagram. And while I personally haven't seen any of Chapter 4 since I don't read webcomics, I can tell you the first three chapters are really fun to read and full of weed-smoking wizards and hijinks. They've also been contributors to Rust Belt Review issues 3 and 4 with some soggy side stories, so make sure to check those out too. You can read Soggy Landing over on Study Group Comics and over on Instagram at Ian Densford or at welcome underscore two underscore soggy underscore landing. Soggy Landing, hell yeah, dude.
Morning, Gary. Morning, Mary Ann. Need a menu? Nah, I'll just have the usual. You sure do love your eggs and coffee, Gary. Best way to start your morning, Mary Ann. Well, that and an issue of Town and County. What's that? Town and County is a new comic series written and drawn by cartoonist Alex Nall. He's that guy that wrote them books about teaching and that Mr. Rogers feller. Oh, he was such a nice man. The first issue is 36 pages of black and white comic stories with beautiful color covers and features six stories about folks in our little township here in Illinois. Like Susie Barber, the house cleaner that uncovers her client's dirty laundry, if you know what I mean. And Stanley Pepper, that big feller that just lost his job and took to drinking every night at Bugs' Tavern. Well, ain't that something. Town & County is published by Ivy Terrace Press, headquartered in Chicago. Chicago? Who would want to live there? So dirty. Each issue comes with a copy of The Hometown Hero, our little town's newsletter, and it's only $8. $8? Where can I get it, Gary? You can order a copy of Town & County on the internet at storeenvy slash alexnallcomics. Oh, there's your breakfast, Gary. Thanks, Mary Ann. Ah, nothing like a cup of coffee and a good comic book. Now, back to our program. Welcome back from the break. Today, we are joined with Queens-based cartoonist and uh, recently published the book 1-800-GHOST, uh, G. Davis Cathcart. Uh, here to talk about, you know, a little bit of uh, his background as far as, you know, where he came from, his teaching, and you know, you know what we do here. What's up, dude? Hey, hey. Welcome. Uh, what's up? I'm, 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 I'm kind of a big fan, so it's like kind of starstruck and, and excited at the same time, you know, because I listen to, your, listen to your show and everything. I was just telling this to... Uh, to cam before jb showed up what's up jb nice to nice to meet you <laughs> what's up <laughs> vocally yeah we're uh we're really uh you know intimidating people here so um, true. don't fuck this yeah, up scary yeah hell yeah. yeah well hey what's the uh what's the g stand for it's george um, george okay yeah it was kind of tacked on last minute because i had a great uncle who died so now my life's just really hard you know to be like i go by davis or whatever like sometimes i forget on ids and like they'll be like cross-referencing stuff and be like you can't go anywhere with because this one says davis cathcart and this one says your name's george who's george and it's just it's hard you know don't don't name your kids with like an extra name that they're not going to use I yeah guess. i'm a marcus technically so you've never been uh, called george in your life actually i went by george at uh at micah when i was like starting off in college um, oh like a re-branding re yeah and i realized george is evil so you know <laughs> then i dropped out of freaking micah and uh went back to davis you got to do so the uh, the little wayne thing and just like you know he used to say uh if you're not familiar he used to say uh you know wheezy f baby and the f is for and it would always change you got to change the g up every time yeah <laughs> yeah different books different names that'd be cool 
Yeah. Wasn't yeah. wasn't wasn't Snoop Dogg Snoop Lion for a little bit, and then like that just kind of fizzled out. Yeah, I think he became a Rastafarian, and he changed his name when right. he was like reborn or whatever. Yeah. Is he yeah. still Rastafarian? Probably not. I mean, he smokes enough weed that he thinks he is probably true. But I don't. I don't know. He's back to Snoop Dogg, not Snoop Lion. So okay. I'm gonna assume that uh, you know that means that his venture into that didn't last long. Maybe he'll um, he'll become one of those uh, Hotep guys next. That'd be pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, who was that comics guy, gate guy we saw? Oh, I forget um, his name, but he, I love that guy. <laughs> so we'll talk about that on the intro. Sorry, Davis. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we found a comics oh, gate Hotep guy. <laughs> yeah, we found this like he rocks. <laughs> he's, we found like a Clayton Bigsby comics gate guy. Who? <laughs> wow, my new favorite well, guy. Shout now out to I got to listen to my own episode to find out. You know? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, hey, we got to remember Bummer. to cover that on the intro. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't think we'll forget. I don't think we'll forget. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking hate listening to my own voice. I was just like, I was just thinking actually, because I have listened, like, like you guys have deep voices. And I, the few times I have been forced to listen back to my voice, it sounds pretty deep. So this is going to be like a baritone party episode, you know? Yeah, we're going to, we're going to make it uh, sound good on the low end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, uh, I'll just, yeah, let's I'll, get into I'll lower you, though. the pitch on everything, so it just sounds like we're... Hey, there you go, chopped yeah. and screwed. Yeah, 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 yeah. us all up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, uh, let's just go ahead and talk about the new book, uh, 1-800-GHOST. It was originally self-published, right? You didn't have a publisher on the smaller version? Yeah, no, I um, self-published it using Resograph, and it was really small. I printed it through Resolve out of Philadelphia. Yeah, it looks great. I've got it in my hands right now. Oh, it looks nice. great. Uh, it's got a really good uh, what they call hand feel, which I think is a weird word, but mm-hmm. I guess that's apparently a thing. But you also just released it at Fantagraphics, and it's a giant book now, right? Yeah, it's um, yeah, comically large, I like to say. It's huge. It's like you could like, um, I'm holding it right now, you could like skimboard on it or something, you know? I remember like the old, the old one, like the reason it got republished was because... Eric Reynolds just like couldn't couldn't see the text, and that was a huge <laughs> that was a huge complaint. Like people were people just kept being like, "It's too small, I can't read it." Really? Yeah. Even like I remember I was tabling an event with uh, some friends. Some friends put on an event in Williamsburg called uh, BMX, and I was in the back. And um, Gabe from Desert Island came running up, and he was like, "Dude, I sold all my copies. We need more." And I was like, okay. And he's like, but one thing, like everybody comes in, he's like, it's just too freaking small, man. Like, <laughs> and and he just kind of shrugged and then left. And I, you know, I gave him more copies, but then more people kind of noted that on Instagram, and it sort of it sort of appeared to be an issue for some. And uh, yeah, now that I guess that issue has been resolved with this humongous sized edition, which is kind of the scale I drew it at. I, I drew it all digitally. It's all it's all like. 1200 dpi or something stupid oh you like are that. drawing digitally everything's yeah digital? yeah everything's digital i draw it all on on photoshop on a on a cintiq and i uh you know and i color that way too so okay so that's what i was actually going to get into is uh you know what size you were actually drawing at because like you know there's no in between it's not like it's slightly larger i haven't actually seen it i've just seen pictures of it um yeah. of the larger edition but I do think it's great. I don't think that this one was like, you know, too small or anything. I think that's kind of a funny complaint because I look at it as like manga size and people read manga at this size all the time. Right, right. So it doesn't really make sense, that complaint to me. But hey, I digress on that. So do you ever work traditionally or are you just purely digital all the time? Uh, you know, I used to. I used to draw with like four H pencils, Studler, and then I would 
go, I would ink with a repeatograph pen and that just took like forever. It was like, uh, it, it was, I still draw really slow, but that would be like three weeks for a finished page. <laughs> and I have finished books like that, but it was, um, they're like 12 pages or, you know, 30 pages. And so when I started grad school, I had to, I had to switch it up because it was a, like a program where I was going to be drawing a lot of comics and they introduced us to a bunch of different techniques and, uh, you know, they, they had like all these Cintiqs in the lab and I just figured that would be what I would do to just hurry myself up. I would, I would draw only inks, uh, and then I would just like, you know, edit as necessary as I went. And then I would color digitally and I would cut my time down by like two weeks. Um, so that's how I drew 1-800-GHOST. Yeah. And they were 7.5, oh no, sorry, 10.5 by seven, I think, inches. Okay. Yeah. Something like that. How long and when were you working on this book? Like, because uh, it came out, I believe, was it last summer? Yeah, it came out at the end of last summer, um, okay. August. And I was working on it the previous year. So I started it the previous summer and I went all the way through July and then just hit up Resolve, said, okay, I got to print this. I got to do like a rush job because it was essentially my thesis. And uh, yeah, that's basically how long it took. <laughs> it was, <laughs> yeah, so 30 pages. And there was like a lot of people kind of looking over my shoulder and helping me with the writing. So the story changed. A lot of things changed from my original pencils. But essentially, I turned in pencils by like November. So just like sketches, like roughs. And then, you know, I was kind of cheating too, because I knew I wanted it printed by August. So I started like doing finishes on certain pages that I was pretty sure I wanted, even though other people didn't. I was like, I'm going to commit to these. Like the first page, everyone was like, this doesn't work. It's silly it doesn't feel like it has a home here and for some reason i just really wanted that scene with him on the phone in the book as like an introduction to his character and the idea that they were going to be using this rotary phone the whole time um so that i kind of cheated on uh but after november i was kind of just like inking pages and um just churning out as much as i could during that period of time now as far as your education did you go to school to study comics or this is just something you made like as part of like an art program you were in (laughs) i mean I, so I know you guys are like kind of um, kind of like no school warriors, you know, which is which is cool. I um I went to school because I wanted to I wanted to teach, which is what I'm doing now. Right. But I initially went to Micah for illustration, and like I kept I kept on like getting attacked while I was there. Like one time, somebody hit me over the head with like a crowbar while I was riding my skateboard. Oh, you mean like hospital. you were physically getting <laughs> yeah, attacked? Physically Assault. getting attacked. Yeah. <laughs> Not like in crit, yeah. Damn. <laughs> um, and like one time, like some kid like uh, just decked me at a party. And it was just like very, very strange uh, experience there. So I kind of just dropped out because it was super violent. And then, um, you know, my mother was like, you're not just going to. My parents are both teachers. So they're just like, you have to go to college. And the only place with rolling admission was RISD. So I went there for illustration. And I had a great time. I, I got like a bunch of like children's book agents who were kind of interested in my work. And the second I started working for them, they kind of wanted me to change my style. So I was like, no, I'm going to not do this. I'm going to you know, bail on this idea of doing that. Um, but I had always been collecting comics and reading them and uh, really loved like the storytelling format where you can kind of be like this little control freak and write and draw your whole story without like a lighting guy or whatever. But after, after college, like I didn't really get any traction on illustration work. I was working like full time as like a illustrator for like t-shirts um, in like Midtown, which was pretty, it was fine. I learned a lot, but it was like really corporate and I was doing stuff for like Amazon and 
stupid shit like that. And then eventually I did the, uh, I, I just kind of got fired and um, I, I applied to a grad program at SVA, which is all about storytelling. And that's when I kind of got my, I guess, the confidence to make my own written comic book, I suppose. So is there any, you know, when you were doing like mainstream work, like t-shirt work, are there any t-shirts that are like super like famous that, you know, you did <laughs> that you still see around or anything like that? I just, you said Amazon. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It was for, um, I was making shirts for like toddlers. So like, um, it was like fucking Paw Patrol and shit. Oh, there you, you know? go. Okay. Oh, Our key demographic. So uh, <laughs> 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 uh, but I got to make like a bunch of like Ninja Turtles t-shirts too, and like Sonic and Star Wars and. I saw I like Mickey Mouse shit like that and I I would see like a bunch at Walmart or you know Target. One time I was up with my partner in Maine and I think I think her mom had to stop into a, a, a Walmart or something for 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 something. I can't remember what like sunscreen or something and we were just kind of walking through and she asked me to show me the kind of shirts I make and I actually found one and a woman was like buying it and then the woman made me sign the t-shirt even though like you don't really get to own the work uh, in these environments. It's all just licensing. You just kind of download the stuff and put it on shirts but yeah. So what is that process like? Are you actually drawing or are you working off templates or if you don't mind going into that just because I guess it is a quote-unquote art job. Yeah, sometimes you redraw the stuff. Like especially, um, I remember like I think Target was the one actually that was most fun to work for because they wanted their work to look really retro. So you would end up like redrawing a lot of things. But mostly you're downloading assets from a website, like Adobe Illustrator assets, and just like plopping them on T-shirts and giving them environments. Sometimes the assets are characters. Sometimes they're like locations from the television show and. Sometimes if a location doesn't exist, you'd like draw it. Or if you wanted to make the character look really wonky and wild, you'd redraw it. Or you generate the imagery in uh, in Illustrator. It was it was a lot. You have to like like depending on the company, you have to generate quite a few T-shirts. Like you have to do like three a day in the first place I was at, um, and then the next place was like six a day, and I like quit almost like a week into it. I was just so burnt out on it. But I learned a lot about like visual design, about like organizing a page that I really found valuable. But I don't know. It was <laughs> it was a lot. It made me realize I don't ever want to be in an office again, I think. And that's kind of why I went back into trying to teach, especially, I guess I wanted to teach at the adult level. I was teaching like youngsters before I took the office job. But yeah, it, it was a, it was exhausting. Gotcha. You know, I do want to go ahead and get into your teaching because you know that kind of, you know, you just kind of teed us up there. Now, how long have you been teaching? Well, I taught for a year at studio in a school, sort of between jobs after college. And studio in a school is kind of this placement program where you get put into a classroom to teach art at different public schools all over New York City. Um, So I taught like K through 12 for a while. And I was like teaching seven days a week back then. And that was really hard. Um, And then for adult level stuff, I started teaching while I was in grad school like during my first year I took a job um, in Midtown teaching like portfolio stuff and classes that taught students Illustrator in order to get I don't know a certificate that said they could use Illustrator Um, but also started teaching like narrative illustration and art book classes to adults and then eventually I guess you know after I graduated from SVA I, uh, I, I reached out to a bunch of colleges and got this job at at Pratt teaching illustration one, which started last year. So, you know, uh, I would say like four years total, um, but spread out over different programs. 
and you like teaching the adults more than the kids, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think like, I think just something about going into public schools, like all over New York city was kind of exhausting. I really liked teaching kids, but I don't know. I, I didn't really feel like I was being supported with resources or, or anything like that. Um, it just kind of felt like, I don't know, like I was, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know how to verbalize it. Powerless. Uh, I don't know. It was kind of depressing at certain points. But I did like teaching youngsters. It was kind of more the uh, what they were looking for, like outcomes and stuff like that. I, I sometimes have issue with, and like I, I tend to really like the bad kids. <laughs> I think they're funny. <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it was uh, it was it was a struggle for me. I think, and in college, they're just a little bit more tuned in. I can kind of share a bit more of what I'm interested in. Uh, right. So that works out for me. Yeah. So are you liking the general like illustration courses that you're teaching? Um, are you trying to get into something more specific down the line? No, I really love, I really, really love teaching illustration. One, um, I mentioned, I also teach at Rutgers earlier. I, I, I'm teaching like design fundamentals there. It's super fun. Uh, it's just kind of like the basics of, I guess, visual design. I also taught like an illustration business class in like the spring at Pratt which was also a really fun time. I was like, kind of like able to talk about different sections of illustration, right? Like, and I got to get into like small press at a certain point, which was a really fun time, but also Instagram and all of these places where you can like kickstart a project or use Patreon to generate a subscription service. I really felt like I was kind of like updating the syllabus and it was like, it was, I think the students really appreciated that kind of like new take on what it means to even run a business these days in illustration. So yeah, I'm really enjoying like all of the different illustration classes I'm teaching. Um, especially since I feel like I was doing like a bunch of different versions. I was doing the more corporate version. I was doing the small press stuff. I was doing books. I was doing, I was trying to do editorial. I guess I recently did an editorial piece, but it was like, I don't know. I was, it was kind of fun talking about how, how many different versions of illustration there are and allowing students to kind of run wild with it. For sure. So when you say you're like teaching them the business of like illustration, you mean like as far as like being like a gig worker, like freelancer? Yeah, sometimes like we did a okay. section on freelance. We did like maybe two or three weeks, but then we would switch into like doing it yourself, having a having a more like art forward practice where maybe you're just making prints and using Patreon to get your stuff out there mm -hmm. using like a subscription service model. And then we talked about like Kickstarter, small press, you know, making your own zine and kind of having that represent your voice. You know, just showing like I guess the different forms an illustration business can take, and yeah, that was. I think the students really reacted well to it. I was really enjoying it. Well, it's kind of like you know when they say shit like you know they should teach you how to like you know change a tire in school and stuff like that's what they should be teaching you. Art school is like how to make a living at it, or you know you said like if you want to do it for yourself, you know at least you're going down that avenue as well. Because a lot of the times, just like well, in my experience, also you know. When I was in college, you know, this is, God, 15 years ago. So it was just a lot of, hey, this is how you can refine your technique, et cetera, et cetera. No real world, you know, lessons were really taught. So I think that's great that you're introducing that shit there because uh, I think that's what you really need to know. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. Dude, yeah, actually on that, I was like, yeah, I, I remember being in classes and it was just the same shit every goddamn day. We wouldn't turn a corner. It was just really kind of, <laughs> I don't know, really fucking exhausting. Um, but also it was a much more toxic environment back when I was in school. Did you have that experience at all? Was it like really cutthroat? I, I feel like we've left that behind in some way. I switched to film and it was definitely like that. Yeah. 
but you know, I don't have any experience as far as like in like the formal art, but JB uh, definitely went through art school. Do you feel like it was kind of cutthroat down in Florida? No, I mean, it was a state school and you know, it's Tampa. So it's like pretty underfunded. So the stakes are pretty low. Word. Yeah. I had a teacher, I guess I won't, I won't name him, but uh, yeah, (laughs) I I mean, he's a pretty prominent illustrator. His name's Chris Buzelli and he would, um, we would come into his class and, uh, we would come into his class, we would hang up our work on the wall and, you know, he would look at all of it and we would all kind of look at everything as well. And then we would all kind of settle down and he'd say, all right, we're going to vote for our favorites. And um, we would all get three votes. And <laughs> at the end, he would tally up all the votes from most to least and order our work on the wall um, from most votes to least votes. And I just thought that was like, that was really, really stressful, I think, for a lot of students, especially if they weren't really doing what he was trying to teach. Like if they were into like children's books or something, they were always like dead last. And I thought that was like a really unfair kind of environment for him. But I don't know. It was wild. It was also like a lot of people trying to get ahead of one another. A lot of kind of like, yeah, like teaming up with people who they thought were the best, quote unquote, and stuff. It was kind of a strange, strange time that I'm really happy is behind us because everyone in my class these days is just super kind and and wants to just boost everybody else up, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I think it should be that way. I mean, you know, I guess like you can, you know, it's just an old way of teaching. That sounds very old school, that experience. Right, right. Like the salon days, like let's just shit on everything. (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, exactly. Yeah, you know, you know make people feel bad. I don't, I don't know. I don't really understand what the what the purpose was of that, but I, I don't really see it anymore, which I'm which I'm really happy about. Do you think you're going to be like a lifer, even if it's like part time teaching? Like, do you enjoy it enough, or do you think it's just like something you're doing for the moment that you'll eventually move on from? Yeah, I do. I, I, I again, it was kind of modeled to me. Both my parents were teachers. Right. They they sort of showcased this like lifestyle of of teaching what you do in the studio and using all your free time to generate artwork. So they so were art just, teachers as well. Yeah, and so I okay. think I'm just I've just been programmed. I don't even think I have a choice at this point. You know, it's just it's just what was shown to me as this kind of this thing you do, which, you know, I, cert- I, I sometimes I do get jealous of the people who are able to do this kind of freelance stuff on the side and still maintain their art practice for zines or books. I just don't think I'm the, I don't think I'd be able to do that to like do like smaller projects and then, you know, jump into the comic stuff. Uh, but for some reason, being able to like separate, you know, instruction from practice works out for me. So yeah, yeah. I think I'll probably stick with it for a while. Actually, uh, I just remembered, like, uh, I thought, and I could be completely wrong, and I'm sorry if I'm, you know, misattributing this to you. Didn't you post that, like, one of your parents, like, was in the Guggenheim or something like that? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, my mother. Yeah, she just won a Guggenheim fellow. Okay, um, cool. So are they painters? Yeah. Both of your parents painters? or? Yeah, my mother's an abstract painter. Okay. She's doing really well with her stuff. She's She's got her work in, like, you know, the permanent collection at, at MoMA and all this other stuff. She's she's just absolutely killing it. Like, every time I go see her, it's just another announcement about how she's absolutely killing it. And then my dad's an architect. Um, I guess he was, like, a green architect. He's retired now. But if you've ever been to, like, Coney Island, he did the, he did the train station there, which has, like, this giant canopy over it. Um, and he taught as well. My mother taught at or teaches at Hunter College. She teaches the MFA painting. And then my father taught at Fordham University and he taught urbanism. Gotcha. So not to like get like, you know, too deep. And if you don't want to go into this, that's okay. But do you feel like growing up, 
you wanted to be an artist? Do you feel like you were kind of pressured into it? Like, or was it something you were always just like, I've got to do it? Because I mean, you know, you're coming from two creative parents, you know, so I'm assuming that you came from a house where this was very much so encouraged. And you kind of alluded to that earlier. Yeah, I was just constantly drawing. I don't know. I, um, my sister feels like the black sheep of the family. Uh, she was, she's a, a lawyer or she's in law school right now. So she certainly kind of feels like the outsider, but I was kind of always encouraged to to be a creative. Um, and I certainly just kind of had critique constantly, like in the households, right? Like I would draw a drawing and I, I think sometimes a certain parent would be like, that's not your best effort or like the perspectives off and that kind of shit. And which is kind of, it's kind of fucking weird um, because you'd watch other kids and they'd, they'd, they'd draw some shit in the classroom and everybody, all their parents would be like, this is the fucking coolest thing ever. Uh, and I just didn't, I didn't get that. I was, I was kind of always under a microscope, <laughs> but I was always kind of. You're bringing home <laughs> stick figure drawings. Yeah, and they're like, what, what, yeah, what's this? Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you could do a little bit more, maybe add some more color here, you know, this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I was always given, I guess, this kind of fuel to make work, but it was also there was this evenly measured with criticism for my entire life. Yeah. And were there comics in your house growing up? You know, I I just like how did you get exposed to those? Yeah, that's a good question. I had I had like Calvin and Hobbes and Tintin growing up, and then in high school, like I guess everyone was obsessed with that stupid ass OC kid who was like reading comics. So all my friends were like like wanted to read comics too to be like that fucking guy. Um, they would go to like the comic shop on Wednesdays, and I would tag along and. And they eventually kind of stopped, and I just wanted to keep reading those comic books. I just like kept going back, and so I would, and mostly for like specific artists that I really liked or writers. What were you into? I like you know the superhero stuff was mm-hmm. the first thing because it was easy to kind of come of back to. So I remember like All Star Superman and stuff like that was really big for me as a kid. Like Bendis too was like a big guy, and Grant Morrison and those books. Just like really silly stuff that now I just don't really, really look at too much of. And then when I got to college, you know, when I, well, when I got to Providence, um, I started looking at like picture box books and those really kind of lit my imagination on fire, like the Brian Chippendale stuff and, you know, all of that CF. Those books were, I think, incredible and kind of led me to like investigate more small press books. Yeah, so I guess that was kind of how I got into comics in general. But certainly, I wasn't allowed really too much violent stuff in the home. My parents really like watched over me and wouldn't let me like go to the movie theater and see Kill Bill or whatever, which sucked. But yeah, I would I would certainly sneak it and um, eventually found my way into like those the superhero stuff, which led to like Image and again into the Providence, Rhode Island people making work. Hell yeah. All right. So let's talk about influences. What's been uh, the biggest influence on your work? And you don't, you know, it doesn't have to be singular names, uh, movies, TV shows, artists, whatever. You know, it's funny. Like whenever I like look at somebody else writing about my work, they always just freaking snipe it out. Like they're, they, they know exactly like for some reason who I guess I, I'm looking at. I remember going to Comic-Con in 2008 and getting like that original Mesmo delivery book and just it blowing my mind. So oh, Raphael, yeah. yeah, Raphael Grandpa was huge for me. And I just, I just couldn't wrap my head around like how, how much he was trying to get this kind of style out there and make something feel kind of 
oh god like delicate and intricate and fun but like a, like lacking a story almost entirely in a really funny way like kind of stringing us along because the art's so strong um i really remember i remember just being shocked by it um, i love the acme novelty library books like anything chris ware does that too was like i kind of discovered when i right when i got to college and i just didn't understand that it wasn't an illustrator file for like the longest time i thought it was just all digital but it was like he's hand drawing that stuff i think that's it's crazy insane. when you see that shit like the originals yeah. Have you seen any? yeah like what the heck is this <laughs> like, yeah like it's insane it's insane. yeah i can't believe it i i mean again people who like constantly get thrown out there when i guess other people are writing about the work that i'm making are are jeff darrow and and frank quitely which I don't understand how, because those guys, I think, are, are on, a, on a completely another level. Um, I think they're incredible. I think that's a bad comparison to make. We talk about it here sometimes. It's because you have really... Some people try to just fill up the page and it looks bad, but people will say, oh, it's impressive because it looks like Darrow. You fill mm. up the page and it's actually interesting. And I think people equate that as, oh, it's busy, so it looks like Jeff Darrow. Oh, man. Not to, you know, make yeah. it, but I think, I think that's a lazy comparison when people right, compare right. people to Jeff Darrow. Yeah, there's a lot happening in a Jeff Darrow, but it's almost like a Where's Waldo kind of thing, right? Like there's yeah. like seven stories happening in one panel and you're kind of like pulling out all this different, di- different stuff. You're right. I really like uh, Windsor McKay. Are you into I, Frank King, Gasoline Alley? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. You just have yeah. the one page, uh, the action sequence in the, uh, the hallway where, there's not actually a panel. It's like one image. And I call it the gasoline alley thing in my head mm-hmm. when I see it. I right. think it's great. I think that's one of the best pages in the book. I, I think it fucking rocks. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that page is incredible. Yeah, you're proud of that one when you. Uh, I no, 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 no. I can imagine. Like, that, that's when you take a, take a step back and you're like, okay, I was cooking on that one. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I never do that, man. I like look at my shit and I'm like, this fucking sucks. And I just try to move on to the next page. <laughs> you know, I, I also like. I really do love a lot of fine artists. Um, I really love John Baldessari. Um, I love Peter Bruegel. I love Caravaggio. I love Hieronymus Bosch, I guess. I love uh, Durer. You know, so I, I guess those are s- some older artists. Um, but I, I do try to go and, and get inspiration from fine artists. And then a lot of the panels in the books I make are referencing architecture. And I try to have that be an influence as well. I think if you can like pick a architecture style and try to like have that influence the book and the spaces people walk through, I think that's good for a story. So I was looking at a lot of um, Art Deco work, especially stuff that was happening around Tribeca, which is where 1-800-GHOSTS mm. take place. So yeah. I want to put a bow on 1-800-GHOSTS and then get into the other comic work that we've kind of touched on a little bit. So mm-hmm. you did take it over to Fantagraphics. Now, were you actually like, that wasn't just like a joke? Like, did this actually come together? Because, you know, they were like, hey, we need this thing bigger so we can read it. Like, they liked what they saw. Like, how did did you pitch it to them? How did that end up coming out through them? No, yeah. I, uh, oh, man. So I, I really, I wanted this to be a book. Where, where I published it, you know, um, where I published it through a publishing house and, uh, and tried to get a publisher. And I remember sitting down at towards the end of my grad program when I had the book all drawn out, but not colored, I had to show it to my teachers and my mentor, my teacher, or sorry, my department head, who's named, um, who's Nathan Fox, who does like, comics. oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he did like the weatherman. Yeah, I know them. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know them, but I know of them. Yeah. And then, um, and then Dilraj Mann, who did, uh, who did Dalston Monsters, uh, I had to sit down with both of them. And they, and I was like asking them, 
like, what's the best way to release this? How do I approach publishers? And they both just kind of said, don't, uh, just release it yourself, release it the way that you would want to see it in the world. So I, I kind of did that. I did it in the way that I could afford, but I did it in a risograph and I just released it. And I was kind of bummed about it. I was like, well, this, I I did kind of want to see if I could get this published and into more hands, I suppose, was the reason behind that. And Dilraj was really kind of smart about sort of pointing out this idea that Sam Bosma put in his head, which is like he published fantasy sports, or I guess it was called basketball sports at the time, like as a zine. Um, And then it got picked up by No Brow. And he's like, why don't you just release it the way you like, and then maybe you can re-release it. You know, I was like, okay, well, I don't think that's going to happen, but I did it. And then um, I didn't approach Fanographics at all. Uh, uh, Eric Reynolds approached me. He emailed me and sort of said he read it. And the text was just a a little too small. And um, if I was interested in reprinting it um, and working together, he'd be be down. So I, of course, jumped on that opportunity. I was like, yes, please. and, you know, we set up a video or I set up a video call, actually, because um, I wanted to talk about it with him. And he like started the call and he's like, what do you want to what do you want to talk about? Um, which left me kind of like in the lurch. <laughs> Why are you bothering like, me <laughs> on the back foot? I'm like, I, 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 yeah. I was like, oh, I want to publish the book we were talking about via email. And he was like, he, he did like above and beyond on that video call. He was like pulling out rulers and figuring uh-huh. out what size it should be. And and yeah, so that's kind of how it how it went down. But I was, yeah, I think I was just too like shy to, to even suggest republishing it at Fanographics. So I'm really glad he, he did all the work for me, kind of. And is it actually yeah. Fanographics or did you th- do it through Fanographics Underground? It's through Fanographics Underground. Yeah, it's like their micro press. Which is the same shit. It's just smaller print right, runs, right? Yeah. And the reason okay. behind that was he was, you know. Well, it's he a said floppy, it's because right? I already released it. Yeah, and it's like a floppy. And uh, yeah, like I, I heard they're trying to dip their toes back into that, but you know, it's a volatile marketplace. So right, right, yeah. Have you seen like an uptick in anything since it's been out with the you know wider release? Yeah, I mean, people, pe- just people reach out to me on Instagram and tell me how much you know they they liked it. I suppose um, I'm getting a lot of great feedback on it. It's it's all just really nice. Um, mm-hmm. I, I kind of enjoy the comments that are like, what the fuck is going on with it? I had one person who just posted a picture of the book on like their Instagram story. And it was just said underneath, like, what the fuck did I just read? I really like that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yeah, it's been it's been really a nice reaction. But I really kind of enjoy watching people just kind of try to figure out what the heck I'm trying to say or do with this thing. Oh. Do you want to shed some light on that before we, uh, you know, move past it? Uh, you know, is the story like, you know, like, is it just like a statement on, you know, separating the art from the artist and the inability to do that in some cases? And, you know, you wish that, you know, this person wasn't, you know, the creator of this thing wasn't a quote unquote bad person. Like, is it commentary or do you actually really love Michael Jackson and wish you could separate? Like, is this a meditation on that? Do you want to <laughs> yeah. offer any insight into that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I actually wasn't thinking about why or any lessons at first. Mm-hmm. And this was actually going to be a book about these people trying to steal purple rain. And then I remember my friend was my friend loves Michael Jackson. And he he was like heartbroken over the many years of this like resurfacing and kind of going away and coming back. Right. And and all of my teachers were like, you need to impart a lesson in this story. And so I decided I was going to like kind of attach this idea of cancel culture and like have it be about, you know, how it's neither good nor bad and kind of whack and attach it to a a kind of a crime heist caper and have the people neither win nor lose in the end. 
and have that be just kind of like this rumination on on this current cultural moment, I suppose, using my friend's kind of serious loss over Michael Jackson. I'm not really a fan of Michael Jackson at all. I don't really care. Um, but, uh, but you know, I sort of made it for him. I think I dedicated it to him in the back, too. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of why I landed on him. All right. In terms of how you went about making it, was it pretty standard, straightforward, you know, outline, script, thumbs, pencils, ink, or did you have a different approach? I wanted to just go page by page with inks, uh, but Dilraj, uh, again, my mentor, he was he was like, no, you gotta you gotta do uh, pencils first and thumbnails and all this, and I was like, okay, I was just I, I let I let him kind of dictate how I was gonna organize it. I'm kind of glad I did it that way because I did tweak things, and he was able to look it over and understand the flow, and and it was actually because of him that I that I that I had that gigantic like kind of fight scene at the end like before it wasn't really going to be as violent or have that kind of centerpiece. And he was like, you know, this is a really weird book. You should do something weird at the end. I was like, okay. But that's just because I was able to like thumbnail out the story ahead of time. And mostly because he asked me to. Uh, So I guess it ended up being like kind of standard, uh, but I, I didn't want to do it that way. I wanted to kind of go a different direction and just go page by page ink everything and then color it. And he made me dial it back and do pencils and inks and then color. So this one was kind of made, as you said, like as a thesis. So it was made within, you know, the confines of like a school program. So do you feel like now that you're, I guess a a way to put it is, you know, like off of a leash, do you think you'll keep that process or do you think you'll go straight to inks on your future projects? Oh boy. I, I, I think I will keep the way he did it, but I also, I think I just want to change it up depending on the book. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, depending on the project, uh, switch up how I how I tackle this stuff. And my next book is going to be so much longer, so I'm kind of trying to figure out exactly how to wrap my head around something bigger than 30 pages, which is the most I think I've ever done. Um, yeah. So I do want to get into the next book, but kind of as a bridge to get there. Um, mm. Before we started recording, you mentioned you you know your comics work before this. This was your first actual like I guess solo book, but you mentioned you know, working with other people on comics related things. Did anything like that come out? Like, uh, what was, you know, do you have any other work out there? Was that all just stuff to, you know, kind of have fun for yourself? Yeah, I had, uh, I had a web comic with a friend of mine. Um, he wrote it and we, we, I, I don't know, we, we just kind of did it. Uh, we did like the first chapter and then I kind of realized he hadn't finished writing it and I needed to know where it was going in order to know how to draw it, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So we just decided to stop and we released the first chapter in like a newsprint bound format. I don't think I'm going to do any more of that. I think it's going to be, I think I'm waiting for him to finish it. And then we're just going to start over because my art style has changed so much since then. And then I did a book with a old friend of mine who I grew up with. Uh, he actually used to be like my babysitter and he, uh, he decided he wanted to do like this kind of fight scene book about like this like were dog that has to like travel every street in America before he dies. And he had this like kind of fun idea of like him getting into these weird supernatural fights in every state. And yeah, I drew the first chapter of that and he wants it to be like this serialized book, but I kind of stopped drawing that when I went to grad school. So yeah, right now I'm just kind of moving on with my own projects. And can you talk about that? Are you under any kind of like NDAs or anything like that? I actually don't know. I haven't checked. Uh, I haven't really read through the contract. Recently. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can tell you it's longer. It's, it's weird. Uh, again, 
Yeah, I guess that's all. I don't know. I guess that's all I can really say. It's going to be a while before it's done anyway. It's going to be like several years. Okay. Yeah. So do you have like a a release year date kind of, you know? Yeah. I got to turn it in in 20, summer 2024. So 2025, probably. Yeah. Yeah, I guess maybe. that's only like fucking three years. That's really no time at all. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I think, uh, well, I think that's good, actually. You know, that, yeah, you got plenty of time. They say yeah. time flies, as cliche as it is. So exactly. it'll be here before you know it. Yeah. Let, let, let them miss you. I don't want to, I don't know. I think it's like the, the Funny Hundred Ghosts is so abrasive. If I released a book like that every year, I think people would just really get uh, sick of that shit, you know? a bunch of shit talking and stuff is your old work still available or is that stuff buried and you don't want it out it's available like when i table shows it's not really available online okay yeah so if i'm at like a like a zine event they'll usually be there with me you just recently did a show right yeah i did uh, i did tcaf and i did okay. yeah 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 and what was your experience like do you like it oh god uh, it was really stressful you know uh, my flight got canceled I don't know. I was just, I, I think I was just really just stressed the entire time. Were you tabling solo or just at the Fana table? Solo. Uh, but they had okay. my book at the Fana table too. Yeah. I was really just, I think totally stressed out during the actual event, but yeah, after the event, like the shows that I, and the after party and stuff, uh, those were great. Those, that's where I think I had the most fun. My, a friend of mine who, uh, does a like a sh- comics reading every month called Big Milk did one up there and that was fantastic uh, a bunch of really cool readings um, I saw one by Max Morris and it was just absolutely insane I kept telling him I think I told him too much I think <laughs> he was just like okay yeah, I get it but um was it the hello book was he reading yeah from? how to, okay. how to say hello that was absolutely incredible yeah he's I got really a new one that. coming out or maybe it just came out by the time this comes out I think it'll be out yeah that was yeah yeah i think he's doing a, a reading in um like in this weekend hometown. maybe yeah yeah or next and, weekend uh, yeah 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 i hope people go to that because he does a good job with readings um, but everybody did a great job yeah have you done readings before i did one last thursday actually i did one at the big milk that i was just talking about which is the name of this reading that happened uh, there, yeah, it, it was really fun. I I did it through like a circuit bent telephone, so it was like kind of like, like oh, okay, cool. Reading, like like the characters, you know, because they're they're on their their telephone the whole time, and I had like a little red like strobe light, so when the lights went on in the book, I could like turn it on and stuff. So I kind of tried to play up the theatricality of it, but you know, it's like it was kind of a slog to get through, but um, I really enjoyed reading it. Yeah, reading's really fun, and I got to read with uh, Andy Andy Pratt, who I went to school with, and he oh he he rocks, he rocked. Yeah, yeah, he did a fantastic. I just I, I can't I love his work so much do you like uh reading like I know it's your first time do you think it's something you're interested in doing again I personally don't like it but I think it's cool oh yeah you yeah. know that people do it yeah yeah I love it and I love I love watching other people read too I love going to people's readings um yeah. I've only seen Andy read a few times but this was I think the most fun like he had a recorder he had like a he had like food for people which was great because I hadn't eaten all day I was like too nervous <laughs> He's just absolutely insane. If anybody can get the opportunity to see him read, I highly recommend it. He really is like a pro at it. I really didn't know what my identity was when it came to reading yet when I showed up. Like, I like again, this was, yeah, my first time. So I was like trying to figure it out, uh, trying to wrap my head around like what I was going to do. I was really nervous, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. You don't you don't like reading at all? You Have you done it before? I haven't done it since like 2017. 
but I just, I, I literally am just like the type that just like reads it to you. I've never, yeah. you know, tried to take it past that. I've only yeah. done like two. Um, so I think if, you know, I tried it and, you know, took a different approach, I could probably find something to enjoy about it and find a way to do it. Uh, but my experiences with it, I've always just like felt lousy afterwards. So I just, you know. Oh, word. Yeah. I like it when people just kind of read it too. I think that's great. Um, you know, just let the comic speak for itself. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. JB, have you read your books? I've done one reading in Chicago. It was for an event uh, called Zine Not Dead. Uh, it's a comic reading event that they do sporadically. I want to say they used to do it like once a month, but now it's like once every couple of months. Run by uh, two guys. One guy runs Perfectly Acceptable Press. The other guy runs Bread Press. Both uh, pretty well-known Rizzo small press publications uh, based out of Chicago. And uh, yeah, there was... There was a past guest that was one of the readers, and I can't remember his name. Cam's still looking for the name. Well, none of them are jumping out as like uh, that would have been. There. He was one of the. Um, he was one it, of the many guests we've had on who I had no idea who they were, and you were super pumped to have him on. <laughs> <laughs> if that narrows it down, uh, I don't know if it does. No. Like, I'm all the way back on episode 28, and none of these are jumping out to me. So, uh, you know, we're going to table it, and we'll figure it out by the intro, unless it's really just going to bother me. I mean, you. it is going to really start reading me. every yeah, name. Really that we, uh, <laughs> was it RJ Casey? He ran Yeti Press. No, no, it wasn't Casey. It wasn't RJ? Yeah, like, it wasn't Carl Stevens, was it? No, no, it was not him, no. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm at a loss. Oh, I found I it. Say, I found your it. Friend it too. was uh, John Porcelino. Oh, Porcelino, yeah. And Yeah, I was surprised you couldn't figure that out. I was like, Porcelino. That's like your guy. I Yeah, I don't know. I just don't associate Porcelino. The last time I talked to Porcelino, he was just like, I'm tired of driving to Chicago for shows. <laughs> he was depressed packing his shit into his car after K. <laughs> so I just didn't think, you know. <laughs> well, this was 2018. Show so this was before yeah, yeah, he decided yeah. to not do shows in Chicago anymore. Uh, Kevin yeah. Budnick was on. Uh, Nicole Del Rio. Carrie Vinarski And Prism Pop. Hmm. Uh, oh, and also yeah, Gina Winbrandt who I think we're going to have on the show oh, at yeah. some point. Oh, yeah. Gina's going to be on the yeah. show soon. Gina's uh, cooking up and some stuff. And Sarah Squirm, although they are not a small press person, but whatever. They were there. Anyway, yeah. So, long so do you like reading? story short, yes, I've done a reading. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> I It was my first and only reading, and I don't see myself doing another one, to be honest. It was just, yeah, okay. I don't know. It's not for me, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, I like going to them, but yeah, I don't uh, know if I, I like I, doing them. I think I like going more than um, yeah, hundred percent more than reading. Yes, but yeah, yes. For yeah. attending for sure is a lot more fun than actually doing it. But I got to say, you doing the shit with the phone sounds cool. I think that's that sounds tight. For yeah, you. it was it was fun. It made my voice like really metallic-y. and oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Freaking yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was a fun time. Alrighty, well, it's that time of the show again where we get into listener questions. As always, if you want to participate with the show or ask our guests questions, you can follow us on Instagram at gutterboyspod or email us at gutterboyspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we did get quite a few questions for you. Some we kind of, uh, you know, touched on. Uh, so if we did, then we're going to kind of, you know, blaze through it. And uh, yeah, so first one here, I should read the one where Nate fucked up just because. Nate's <laughs> Man. Um, <laughs> I recently got Nate's book, uh, and I, I really liked it. You know, I was really yeah, intimidated by his stuff because I think he released his like you know, the Alonzo Sneak one like right when I was releasing the One Eight Hundred Ghosts for the first time, and I thought it looked freaking awesome. But I bought that Gecko, and I, I made my sister read it too, and she was like, "What the fuck did you make me read?" <laughs> yeah, he's he's wild. He's uh, <laughs> he's on some different shit. <laughs> 
There was a review. Uh, we might have mentioned it. It might have been on Patreon, but there was a review that was like, when is Nate Garcia going to realize? And it, what, well, fuck, what was the way it was phrased? It was essentially like, when is Nate going to go too far? Because no, really? Like, oh, no, well, no. Just like, I love he it. just does whatever in his comics. And, yeah. and I think that that's a bad criticism. But I think that also is a positive thing because it's like you that the comics are fucking crazy that he's making. They're just yeah, insane. They're great. Like, I love it. You I know? do too. Yeah, one of the most exciting creators. Hell yeah, going. yeah, 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 for sure. He's. Uh, he, yeah. I just. I really appreciate it when a creator is willing to just to really just go all out and. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Well, Nate asked, uh, as always, uh, what'd you have for breakfast? Oh boy, I don't. I don't eat breakfast. I just had coffee. I know it's boring. Okay. Yeah, New Yorker answer. Stupid. I should eat breakfast. I get all moody and stuff. But yeah, I just drink coffee and it ruins my appetite and then I don't eat until lunchtime. How do you take your coffee? Okay. Oh, uh, just, you know, just milk. Yeah, that's it. Damn. <laughs> milk only? No sweetener? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Why? How do you guys do it? Do you guys... Do you, I'm do just you, black. Just bl- Oh, man. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, um, same. I wish. Wait, yeah. iced coffee versus regular coffee. What's your take? You know, I've seen people do like iced coffee through the entire year and I just... I really don't like winter, so I switch it. I go iced in the summer and hot in the winter. Do you guys eat breakfast or you guys just drink coffee? I'm not really. It depends on the day. It really does? Okay. Yeah, I don't I don't yeah. eat breakfast yeah. normally. It's a shame because yeah. I think breakfast foods are freaking great. I love breakfast you know? food, but yeah. breakfast is, yeah. in terms of like the designated time, not for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if I were to eat breakfast, it'd be like cereal. Which is awesome, cereal rules. But uh, but again, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go all out. I wouldn't take myself to a diner or anything like that. But see, I always yeah, put yeah. cereal in the same boat. It's like donuts. You know what I mean? Donuts rule too. I yeah, love what, donuts. What, what, what is this a bad? Well, no, thing I mean it's just like <laughs> it's more of like a dessert than it is like a, a meal. You know what I mean? Right on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm. I can't not eat a donut. Like if I oh, see yeah, one, same. I have to have yeah, it. No. I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Um, Oh shit! What was I was getting ready to ask something that was related your favorite to that, donut? But, uh, Nate, Nate, yeah, Nate, Nate Garcia, yeah. Uh, cereal. <laughs> yeah, uh, Black uh, it doesn't coffee. matter. All right, it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, all right. Next question is from Instagram user Nylon underscore Horse. They asked if you were going to stage your own time travel heist to recover a piece of media from a problematic creator. Which one would you choose? Oh boy. Well. It's funny, like I mentioned earlier, this book started off as um, not targeting a problematic creator, but like targeting someone who I respect. But I was going to have a target print, but and I had like mixed reviews on that. Some people really liked the idea of like using time travel to fuck shit up rather than fix things. You know, I would I would probably go further back and like have like like fuck with um, Caravaggio or something because he's evil, but people still are just like yeah, whatever. It's too long ago and it would like almost ride that line of, of using time travel to mess with things rather than fix things, which I feel like is the most common use of time travel in, mm. in writing. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like that would be a more uh, like a super interesting, like go back in time and just like kill Carvajal <laughs> or something. So you can't make anything. And then you're kind of, you know, messing up stuff because he's, he's often considered like one of the best painters and rightly so, but like, pure evil also and like you'd be you'd be doing two things at once you'd be ruining shit and uh and fixing fixing this guy mm. it would create a good uh i guess after reality right right uh, yeah. Be yeah explored yeah, yeah exactly for sure. 
Outright. Uh, JB, you got an answer for that? Uh, Actually, you know what? Let's. There was a similar question from Scott JHPDX. What other artists should have their careers sabotaged by time <laughs> travelers? Because I actually thought about this, and um, I guess the one is, uh, you know, Morrissey really sucks as a person, <laughs> but he made, he <laughs> made some fire. Answer. You know, yeah. so uh, I'd try to fix him. I yeah. don't know how I would do it, but I would try to fix him. <laughs> you try to fix him. You got that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be like, you know, it was, early you know, was, it, was it mom, dad issues? We're gonna we're gonna start at the childhood, and we're just gonna you know stay and see what happens here. That's a that's actually a really good answer. Yeah, I would uh, I would go back in time uh, to the late sixties and find Roman Polanski and. <laughs> And have and convince him to go into a room where uh, my time traveling partner Chris Hansen will be waiting for him, <laughs> and uh, hopefully wow. that'll scare him straight enough so that he keeps making fire oh movies God. without being a pedophile. <laughs> but uh, yeah, oh uh, yeah, I didn't even think about yeah, Klansky. That's a good one. And you know, maybe if I mean, if I already have Chris Hansen with me, I would. <laughs> There's a bunch of other guys I would probably visit. Yeah. You know, there's a, yeah. I mean, we're talking like 80 stops at least at that point. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't seem to be working nowadays. Yeah, exactly. So he's, he's, got, he's got the time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe stop by, uh, you know, Nate's fave problematic guy. You know? R. Crumb. <laughs> yeah, have, have, him, oh, have him convince R. Crumb that maybe leering at little girls is not a good idea. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just have a little a stern talking with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel like it wouldn't take much to scare R. Crumb either, so. No. <laughs> just a hard handshake, you know, yeah, yeah, to just break his drawing maintain oh, eye contact goodness. the entire time yeah. and watch him sweat. <laughs> Sorry if you're a crumb apologist, David. No, I'm not. Absolutely not. No, 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 no. Oh, no, no. Uh, no, yeah. I actually, I always feel weird, like, like um, when I'm, like, going through comics history with students, I'm kind of, I feel weird about, like, bringing them up. Uh, so I, I just say, like, and then crumb happened, and then, you know, he's this and this, I'm going to move on as fast as possible, because I, yeah. I, I don't think I can, I can't, I can't linger uh, on on him, because I think he's pretty cringe um yeah, yeah for sure Alrighty, next uh next question came from cluster Fox comics uh what's the next size we can expect for 1-800 ghost an <laughs> <in> artist edition <laughs> oh oh man yeah i remember those like do you ever have those children's books that were like huge like the size of you and you could like step into them and stuff and really yeah yeah your yeah that'd be fun i don't think comic shops would be too happy with that with carrying that but <laughs> um yeah yeah it's it's a pretty big change you know it went from pretty how big is the new book i i I need to order it but how big is i don't have it yet i have a i have a measure so it's 14 by 10 okay and it was like what like five by eight like zine size i think yeah 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 okay yeah so hell yeah okay cool next edition's got to be like 48 by 35 (laughs) or something Yeah. (laughs) yeah you need like a full garage to own it yeah all right, next question is from Instagram user by my comics. Uh, they ask, your characters are reminiscent of Frank Sidebottom. Is that intentional? Who's Frank Sidebottom? It's the guy from that like movie with uh, Michael Fassbender wearing a helmet as like a musician. He's like in like a, he's in like an indie band uh, and he wears an oversized yeah, head. Up. Yeah, no, not at all inspired by Frank Sidebottom. Oh, I see. Yeah, I keep okay. seeing a lot of that online. 
Dude, if anything, I don't think it looks like that. I think it it has more of like a Tezuka look with mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. eyes. Yeah, I definitely referenced Tezuka more. I was doing like these kind of circle head dudes before that movie. I know that's stupid to say, but uh, yeah, it, it, like so. If it was, if my characters were like made into a filmic adaptation, I would fully expect it to be like a fleshy circle head and not a uh-huh. fake head, like in Frank the movie. I gotcha. Yeah. I wasn't too into that movie. I didn't. I don't know. I'm not too into like this, like like these A24. Like I don't know. I just I thought you know whatever. What, what do you think about the new uh, Nate Garcia story movie? I didn't out see the A24. trailer for that oh, okay. yet. I don't know if I can handle it. I don't like. I don't like biopics or whatever. Fuck this is. I don't know. Yeah, it's <laughs> that, a. It's not. A, yeah. It's like a. It's, it's a, a coming, coming of age. Of age. Story. Oh, yeah, that's worse. Yeah. Fuck exactly. That. Exactly. Thank you. He yeah. sees like uh, in the trailer. He sees this like disheveled, uh, out of shape slob guy, and he's like, oh, boy. "You worked for Image Comics," and the guy's just like an old school pro that's mean as shit to the kid. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, no. I'm. Oh man. Yeah, I'll end up seeing it probably just to cover it on the podcast. But um, right yeah. on. Yeah, I go into like these A twenty four movies on a low, and uh, yeah, maybe yeah. they prove themselves, but uh, you know, usually not. I like that uncut gems, I guess. Fucking whatever. It's yeah, that one was cool. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not too not too impressed by that that, that stuff. And I feel like that Frank movie is like a, one of those one of those friggin' things. Yeah, plus their music was bad in the movie. It was just like really boring. So no is the answer to the question. <laughs> not influenced by that. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh well last question on Instagram came from user B.A. Chamnus. Uh, we kind of got into this earlier, but uh, the last part, I guess, if you want to kind of shed some insight into this, uh, do you have slash what's your day job and does it influence your work? So we did get into you teaching earlier. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like, do you feel that, like, you know, teaching that stuff, do you feel like it does inform your work, whether it's subconsciously or consciously? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I get I get really excited to get back into the studio. Sometimes students will like put artists in front of me. Sometimes students themselves will like give me a great idea for, I don't know, something to try out or look at, or sometimes it just comes out of a conversation, but it always makes me super excited to get back into my studio and, and get working. Even the like kind of corporate t-shirt job though was super influential and, and helped kind of develop a design sense that I'd really want to retain and continue to develop um so even like kind of lame (laughs) art day jobs can work in your favor but before that you know i had some day jobs that really kind of just shut me down um like trying to get to the bayside queens from bushwick uh one year was really hard and would take all day and like teaching for studio in a school was really difficult in terms of sustaining a studio practice i worked in an art supply store really briefly after college, that also kind of just took all my energy away. I don't know, something about like retail and standing up all day and helping with other people's art projects kind of made me not want to be in the studio. Oh, so, that's totally valid. Yeah. Yeah. Depended on the day job, but the ones where I was being creative, and this isn't true for everyone. Some people like talk about creative jobs as the ones that are draining and the ones that make them not want to be in the studio at all. Yeah. And um, I guess I'm just not like that. Yeah. Okay. Right on. Uh, JB, you got any final questions yeah. before we uh, get to plugs and all that? Yeah, what's your favorite MCU movie? <laughs> oh, fuck. No, I don't like any of them, man. I hate all of those No, the correct movies. answer is all of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every really, single one of them. I've hated even Iron Man when that came out. Oh, you're, you're a day one hater. Them. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get, like, the, co- the costume design. Ugh. <laughs> 
<laughs> do you even do you do you watch uh, them like just out of curiosity? Worse than Tower Rangers, you know. <laughs> it really does. I would rather watch Beetleborgs, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I uh, I do watch them. I do. I think that like sometimes I like hate watch stuff because it's just culturally relevant. Yeah, same. Like yeah. I just would just be left in the dirt and uh, and not have an answer to this question. But yeah, I really do hate them all. If I really had to pick, I'd pick the one that's like by the the canceled guy. The um, the first Avengers movie I thought was written okay but uh still kind of look like shit uh <laughs> yeah they look like playstation movies because there's too much cgi oh god it's, uh, do you guys have favorite ones you know i don't really my favorite is the newest one yeah oh, really? whatever the, one the newest just... one is that's my favorite yeah the one um the like one like by like the, the was it like the art movie one the one with like uh the one who just won the sure. Oscar? there was the one sure. uh, sure. that sam raimi just did i haven't watched it yet oh yeah sam raimi yeah i didn't see that either no, I don't really have like a, a favorite. I do watch them all, but no, I mean like I yeah, I don't have a favorite. Sometimes I'll miss one and I'll be really okay with it. Oh, like same, I missed, yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, yeah. I actually haven't seen a new one, I don't think, since like the last Avengers movie, actually. Like the when the everything I guess like the big blow off. Happened. Oh yeah, yeah. So I haven't seen any yeah. of like the new Disney Plus shows or anything like that. Or or Black I, Widow. I, I, I saw the Spider Man. That just I want to meet someone who actually sat down and watched all of Hawkeye. You know what I mean? Like, I want to understand right. their brain. Right. That would make yes. them want to watch eight hours of Hawkeye. <laughs> yeah. I however many who, episodes there are. Yeah. I had a friend who started it and told me it was it was frightening, like how fucking shitty that was. Um, <laughs> I I saw the I saw the 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 Mar the. Avengers movie you're talking about, Cam, the the Avengers uh, Endgame. In yeah, theaters. Endgame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and people were like choking on their tears, crying. I just, I could, <laughs> I did not so understand. <laughs> I didn't get it. I was so, Broken. I was uncomfortable. I was like, I was the loser for not crying in that movie yeah. theater, or like uh, cheering was, because somebody picked up Thor's hammer. How dare you not camera. cry in yeah, a baby I, movie? It felt like, yeah. How dare you? Yeah, it sucked. Oh well. Yeah, this it's kind. Of, it's kind of like when people were crying over that new uh what is it black panther movie right and it's it's also, basically it's basically just marvel's contract with bozeman's estate uh, estate right. yeah basically <laughs> in perpetuity yeah, yeah. Really did you see they logged grim. into his twitter account and tweeted yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh no really yeah. they tweeted the trailer not ethical that's so yeah. fucked up. From a yeah, dead man's We tweeted so Wakanda forever up. and they posted the trailer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bro, no, even when you're dead, they still own your ass. <laughs> Awful. Yeah, and it looks like that corporate shit too. I mean, like, I would rather honestly watch The Lion King. I would rather watch a Disney movie than that Black than the, even that first Black Panther movie that was nominated for best picture it's the same shit you know i'd rather watch that i'd rather watch pocahontas than watch avatar too avatar looks like shit i, I, I think so too everybody loves james cameron i love james cameron but avatar is a big big l for me yeah no no anyway yeah sorry i've just been dunking on a lot of movies oh that's okay I, our, our fans our fans like that so it's okay oh really yeah. okay cool they, yeah they uh we, we kind of baited you into that that was yeah that was, okay cool yeah i hope i passed this test awesome <laughs> yeah fuck those marvel movies they're all terrible yeah absolutely honestly though beetleborgs and power rangers great love i that need to shit. find beetleborg streaming somewhere because i remember loving that shit when i was a kid beetleborgs is awesome actually watching it is insane it's like it's almost like a kid made it you know yeah, it's, it's like, like it took like place a, in a haunted house or some shit like yeah yeah there's like an elvis looking blue dude who uh <laughs> it's like a genie and it's so weird that 
I love it. Yeah, I got to YouTube that shit or find it somewhere. It's funny how I'm like giving people ammo here, like to to just disregard my taste entirely when it comes to this Marvel <laughs> shit. You know, it's like this guy likes Beetleborgs but hates Marvel. What a fucking loser! Well, we used to build know? things in this country, okay? So, <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, let's go ahead and get out of here. Where can people find you online? Buy your books, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm G Davis Cathcart on Instagram. And you can buy 1-800-GHOST from Fanographics Underground online. Or, you know, if your comic shop is cool, they'll have it too. Is it? And you could order it through your comic shop even if they're not cool. <sighs> yeah, you can. The beauty of distribution. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on, dude. Uh, big fan of the book. Excited to see what's going on. Uh, might have to bother you through the DMs and have you mail me a zine. All right. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for you. having me. I'm already a fan of this show. You know, I love I love listening. And, yeah, uh, thank you. I love what you guys do. So I'm glad to be here. Hell yeah. Well, if you ever want to come back on Patreon, just DM us. Uh, we're always welcome to shoot the shit. Uh, you know, maybe we can watch some Marvel movies and talk about them. <laughs> yeah, we can pick them apart. Yeah. Which would be a lot. But uh, <laughs> sure, I'm open to it. Hell yeah. All right, dude. Well, thanks again for coming on. And uh, yeah, you want to do the end, JB? Yeah, the end is uh, where I say stay gutter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <There you go. laughs>